0: Really are glad you're, sm- you're here this morning. You know, sometimes it's nice when we have a special day if the weather matches the occasion of the day. Right? You like it that way better? Yes, I do. And so driving in in the dark rain this morning, I was like, ah, this is really not what you hope for on Easter. So I looked what my family was experiencing up in Pennsylvania and they have clear blue skies and 30 degrees. So take your pick. Uh, <clears throat> Actually, it was a good reminder to me this. The faith that we have as believers in Jesus is really not dependent upon does the day match the occasion. The faith that we have as believers is in a historical reality. So the historical facts, and foundation of our faith. The scripture says, and I always bring us back to this, that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, I delivered to you as of, yeah, don't miss that, as of first importance. In other words, not all things are equal. Some things are more important than others. And here's at the top of the list. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. Why'd they bury him? Yeah, this might sound like a crazy question. They buried him because they had confirmed he was dead. Some people discount the resurrection because they said, they said he was never really dead. Well, they actually very specifically confirmed that he was dead before they buried him. So he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So that is the first most important historical fact of our faith. But if the historical fact is going to have personal impact, something has to happen. It's not enough that it happened, something has to happen individually for the historical fact to become personally impactful, and the scripture defines very simply, very directly, what that something is. If you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that's what we're talking about this morning, (laughs) believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what will be true? you'll be saved. That's what the scripture says. So you're tracking with me. The historical fact only becomes personally impactful individually when there is a confession with the mouth and a believing in the heart. a confession that Jesus is Lord and a believing that God raised him from the dead. Here's my question. How does that happen in a human heart? How is it that someone goes from not believing and not confessing to believing and confessing? Something happens in the human heart. What is that? So we're gonna look as Tracy indicated from Luke 23 at an unusual spot at an unlikely time to see how that happens in the human heart. Uh, A little disclaimer. What we're gonna look at this morning actually happened not on Sunday, but on Friday. And to set the text, here's what has gone on. That Friday morning, four men had been condemned to die. Jesus and three other men. Pilate believed the governor who had the authority to sentence people to death, he believed that one of the men was innocent, Jesus. So convinced he was that Jesus was innocent, he determined he would go to whatever length he needed to to get him released. Here was his dilemma. He knew he was innocent, but the people he was in charge of keeping at peace, the Jewish people, wanted him dead. So Pilate hatches this plan. He takes his Roman soldiers and he orders that Jesus be beaten to the point of death with a whip that would have just ripped a man's back off. It was not intended to kill. It was intended to take to the brink of death and one step back and so he had Jesus severely beaten the word in the text is scourged and then to add insult to injury they took a crown since this Jesus was claiming to be king of the Jews and they put it on his head and they took rods then And they beat him and beat that crown into his skull. Why? So that then they could march Jesus out and go, Look, we've beaten him. He's gotten what you wanted. Release him. But they didn't. When Pilate said, release him what they say crucify him. crucify him. and instead and some of for some of you this will hit very intensely painfully wrong instead of releasing Jesus they released a convicted known murderer Named Barabbas, who walked free that day. And four men condemned to die is now three. That's where the text in Luke 23 picks up. Join me in verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him. That is, the Jewish rulers were sneering, saying, he saved others. What are they talking about? Well, he healed the sick actually had raised the dead, he had set the captives free, everything that we just sang about, every chain broken. He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers join in, they also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there was also, above this crown on his bleeding head, there was an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals, remember there was two, there had been three, one had been released, now there's two. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him. Now, obviously, the man's hands were nailed to a cross. So when he was hurling abuse, what's that communicate? Have you ever spoken with venom? Like, like you said it so intensely, so angrily, you just like spit it out. Sometimes, warning, that happens, I spit it out. It's not normally that close but when the when the when the man is speaking to Jesus he's gone save yourself and us just enraged it's what you would expect at a crucifixion because maybe you've seen pictures Maybe you've watched videos. But I don't think anything could actually really demonstrate for us that it's the scene of a torture. Have you ever said, oh, it was of something that happened. It was excruciating. Have you ever used that word? It was excruciating. Actually, it wasn't. Because excruciating comes from, from crucify. And nothing that's happened to you or I is anything close. that excruciating intended the cross was a bloody crowded loud hateful mean ugly scene so you expect you expect a guy nailed to a cross to be speaking hatefully. What you don't expect is what happens next. Verse 40, look at the next two verses in the text, and I'll explain why I think this is so unexpected. But the other, uh, the guy on the other side, answered and, and says to the guy on the other side who had just hurled abuse at Jesus. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed are suffering, suffering what? Justly. Why? For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But that man, he's innocent. Why don't you expect that? Well, because I think what's true for all of us to varying degrees, but what's true for all of us is when we are in physical pain, we don't speak rationally and reasonably. Correct? No, I was totally unprepared for the birth of our first of six children to experience my wife Jackie in a way that I had never experienced. They gave her an epidural, it didn't work. No offense to her, but she was neither reasonable nor rational during that time. And the only good part about that was I didn't expect her to be so. Can you relate, ladies? There's like, I'm in pain. Don't mess with me. But this, the cross pain beyond what anybody could possibly imagine. And this guy is reasonable, thoughtful. When you're in pain, you blame other people, right? You're, you're angry at them. Every, somebody else is at fault if you're in pain. And this guy, totally different than every single other reaction happening at the cross, isn't blaming anybody else. He actually, he actually, and this is, this is not normal. He actually sees himself rightly in the moment. Notice what he said about himself. He said, I'm guilty. I am guilty. We're getting what <laughs> we deserve. We're under the condemnation of death. Yes, I'm guilty. And, and, and I have been condemned to die and I deserve it. It's just so, so unusual in the face of pain to be so honest and to be so humble i would have been ticked as i placed myself in this story you know what i've been so mad at that day that of the four who had been condemned to die who was the worst among the four the guy who got released he was the murderer that would make me so. Does, does that not make you mad? You see, I finally realized oh, if I'm that guy, I'm thinking, yeah, what I did was wrong, but that guy was worse. You ever justify your wrong because other people did more wrong? Yeah, you did. Especially if you're married. You have excused your sin because your spouse's sin much, much worse than yours. Oh, you see what I'm saying? This is not normal. There's something unusual happening here that a man who when everybody else would normally lash out, which is what you do when you're hurting, right? When you hit your head on the corner of a cabinet, what do you do? Punch that cabinet for hitting you as if it was out to get you we do we're not rational we're not reasonable but this guy sees himself accurately i'm guilty and therefore i'm condemned and i deserve it but he not only sees himself accurately you see what he said About Jesus? What the man declares he believes about Jesus as he's hanging there? What did he say? Uh, We indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. We've done wrong, we deserve it. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. From his cross, the guy sees himself rightly guilty and deserving of death, but he states Jesus is innocent. Now, let me acknowledge something for you. See, if, if, many of you know this story. You've heard it, and maybe you've read it multiple times. But if you ever ask yourself this, how did he know that about Jesus? How did he know he was innocent? He may have heard that Pilate thought he was innocent, but how in the world did that man know Jesus is innocent? Meaning he hadn't done anything wrong. How do he you know that? Well, the text actually doesn't tell us how the man knew it but I will show you in a few moments how the man knew it. He knew Jesus was innocent and therefore that he was suffering for the guilt of others. See, if if you didn't do anything wrong, but you're still nailed to a cross, then you are suffering because somebody else isn't innocent. Specifically in the moment Who isn't? Who is guilty? Well, the people who lied about him, the people who made the false accusations, Pilate who wimped out, the crowd who yelled. Right? How about us? (laughs) See, put yourself there and ask. How do you know Jesus was innocent? This dude was a criminal. Had he been eavesdropping, had word been out? How did he know that? And how did he recognize that he would say to the guy, this guy's suffering for the guilt of others. How do you know that? We, We know that because years and years and years and years later than it was written for us so that we could read in the scriptures for Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust. Now did the, did the criminal have that? No, criminal didn't have that. That wasn't written for decades later. How did he know the guy actually who wrote this, didn't believe that that day. Everything about that? This, this thief believes something about Jesus that even his own followers didn't believe about him. How did he know? Even more amazing, look in your text, verse 42. He says one more thing. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Picture it, don't lose it. He's here, Jesus is in the middle. The guy hurling abuse is on the other side and he has said to that guy, what's wrong with you? We're guilty, we're getting what we deserve. That guy, he hasn't done anything wrong. And now he says to Jesus in the center, remember me when you come into What? Your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've heard this, I mean, I've heard this and read this story a jillion times. But for the first time I went, oh, that's a strong statement of something this man believes. When you come into your kingdom, what's he saying he believes about Jesus? Huh, a what? He's. If it's your kingdom, what's that make you? <laughs> that makes you the king. This man, in that simple statement from the cross to Jesus on the cross declares he believes Jesus is, and don't write it the way I wrote it. It's not a king, it is the king. Jesus is the king of a coming kingdom. Now as you write that down, remember what I said earlier? That he believed that Jesus was suffering unjustly for something that somebody else had done? that not even the disciples had yet believed that, and they had listened to him and walked with him and watched him for three years? Do you, do you understand that Jesus had been communicating that to them consistently, and they were still not on board with that? Let me ask you again. How did he know?
1: How is it that he
2: believed that? That?
0: and maybe most astounding, and, and why of what might seem to be an unusual text on Easter Sunday that we're talking about Friday, what did he declare he believed when he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom? What was he declaring he believed? He's nailed to a cross. He's fighting for every breath. What is, what's going to happen? He's going to, he's going to die. And if he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, what is he demonstrating? He believes that it never hit me before. Man, a light bulb came in on for me. I was like, what? What? The man believed Jesus was going to rise from the dead. How do he know that? This dude knows all sorts of stuff. that those who had listened and watch, for some of you, have heard and heard and heard, but you don't believe. How did he know that Jesus was innocent, suffering for the guilt of others? He was the king of a coming kingdom and that he was going to rise from the dead. And then there's a fifth truth that this man believes about Jesus, demonstrated in those words. Jesus, remember me. Who am I? Who is that man? Convicted, criminal, deserving, What's he he believe about Jesus, that he would dare ask him to remember him? I think he demonstrates. He believes. Jesus is this king suffering unjustly on a cross beside him, as gracious and forgiving. I knew this, but I had never really connected before in my mind that that man was hanging on a cross beside Jesus when he had heard Jesus look at the people who were mocking him, sneering at him, ridiculing him, and he heard Jesus say Father forgive them. Well, what has that done for this guy? I'm guilty. They're guilty. He's innocent. He's suffering for what they have done. He's He's gracious and forgiving. Jesus, remember me? How did he know? How did he know? How did he know innocent? How did he know suffering? How did he know a king of a coming kingdom? How did he know he was going to run? How did he know he was gracious and forgiving? This is what we tend to think. When I ask people that, they would go, well, you know, Jesus was pretty famous. He probably had heard. A lot of people had heard and didn't believe, right? Yes or no? All right, track with me. There's a lot of people who had heard. And do we know that the guy had heard? No, we don't know that he had heard. For for all we know, this dude is completely immersed in his criminal activity. He didn't have time to hear about this guy named Jesus. Why would we think he had heard about Jesus? Some say, well, you know, he probably had seen some of the miracles. Really? Maybe is that possible? Sure. Maybe it was possible. Maybe he had learned, wow, when Jesus is around, people are away. We can thieve. You understand what I'm saying? They go to church, we could rob them while they're at church. Years ago, we had a trampoline in our backyard and we discovered that our neighbor's kids found out that we went to church. So they would climb our fence and jump on our trampoline in our backyard when we were at church. Because one time my wife was sick and she looked out the window and went, huh, there's the neighbor kids bouncing on our trampoline. So maybe he was like, hey, Everybody, Jesus is in town. Hmm, Let's go empty, leave some empty houses. Is that possible? Yes. Is that why he believed? I don't think so. How is it that a guy may or may not have heard, may or may not have seen, how is it that he believed? For by grace you have been saved Through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the, the gift of God. See, I want us to understand 100%. Can I have your eyes for a moment? The man believed because God was gracious and opened his eyes. And if you believe, it's not because your grandmother read you the Bible. And if you believe, it's not because you're smarter than most people. And if you believe, it's not because you did the research. If you believe, do you know why you believe? It's because by God's grace, he opened your blind eyes and caused your dead, spiritually dead heart to understand. This is why the Bible says, to the perishing, to those who are lost, the cross is foolishness. But to those who believe, salvation. See, I had always, always been... Told and understood that the story of the thief on the cross is the story of a man who couldn't do anything good to show that he believed in Jesus but was saved anyway because he believed and he died. And it was the basis for deathbed conversions. Which I see that. But I see something far more than deathbed conversions. I see that salvation is by grace. I see that God can take in his sovereign will a man who likely had not experienced anything with Jesus and in three hours, less than. Now, you need to know this. Don't don't miss this. Do you know that the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark record that prior to this man coming to the defense of Jesus, that prior, that initially when he was on the cross, he had joined in in the ridicule and mockery of Jesus. That's where he started, actually. And somehow, no, not somehow, by God's grace, In less than three hours, he went from a mocker to one who confessed with his mouth Jesus is Lord and believing in his heart that God would raise him from the dead. That's fantastic. Three years in, and the disciples, when Jesus got arrested, ran like scared cats. They didn't go, well, he's the king of the coming kingdom. If they kill him, he'll rise from the dead. No problem. They went, ah, it's over, and went back to work. It makes sense to me now why I had heard the gospel, And heard that Jesus died for me. And heard that he had risen from the dead. And I had heard it and 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 heard it. And then one day I went, what? And believed it. And and do you know why? Because somebody finally said it in the right way. No, no, that's, that's hogwash. It's not because somebody said it in the right way. They showed me the right video. They made me cry and I went forward. It was none of that. Well, why did something I had heard and heard and heard and heard and then believe, what happened? God's grace. See, it's possible. You've heard and heard and heard and heard and heard and never believed. And the first time, it's actually God is turning the light on in your heart right now. And you'll be tempted to say, well, that was such a good message. I mean, it finally made sense. That wasn't me. That was God's grace in your life. Because when he turns the light on, It's not by cleverness of speech or persuasive words. The scripture says it's a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God at work in the human heart. And the man believed what he believed and confessed what he confessed because God turned the light on. And if a man can go to the cross not believing, and on the time from being on the cross till he breathed his last, he could believe. You could walk in these rooms, this room this morning, not believing, turn on your television, boot up your computer this morning, not believing, and in this moment, believe. The night I believed, my mom took me to a place I did not want to go. I was so mad at her. Sunday afternoon, evening, I'm doing what I wanted to do. And she's get in the car. We're going to hear a speaker.
1: Ah!
0: <laughs> He's just going to say, I've heard it. I've been to Sunday school. I know it. And then I heard it. The grace of God opened my heart to believe, just like the grace of God opened this man's heart to believe. And just like the grace of God opened my friend Donna's heart to believe. I'm going to show you her story in a moment. But I want you to see first what Jesus said to the man. Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. In other words, you have believed rightly. He told the man, I'm going to remember you, not your sin. Because when it comes down to it, friends, that's, that's what it's about. Either he's going to remember you or remember your sin. Right? He's going to remember you as one that he, by his grace, opened his eyes. He's going to remember your sin. And he says, You'll be with me. I'm going to do as you have believed and he received the promise of relationship with Jesus. You will be, next two words, with me, with me. He gives him the promise of relationship. (laughs) The apostle John would have heard this go down. See, again, he's going to write something in his gospel that happened that he states way early before this happened. But I cannot imagine that when John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he writes what I'm about to read for us, when he wrote it, I can't believe he isn't imagining what he experienced that day when he heard a criminal honestly admit... I'm guilty and I deserve it, but I believe that you're innocent and you're dying for the guilt of others and your king is going to come back. I believe in you. So John writes, as many as received him. So then he gave the right to become children of God. See, you capture what I just said? (laughs) He, He wrote this... After he had watched that happen. Convicted felon? Believe? Yes. As many as received him. He gives the right to relationship with him. To so as many as received him. He says, I'll remember you. Not your sin." Not, not a deathbed conversion, it could be. But as many as received him. Here's Donna's story.
1: I was raised in a Catholic home, baptized and confirmed in the faith. We attended mass weekly, however, there was no mention of God in our home. There was no Bible and no prayer. My faith was a tradition that we followed from our French ethnic heritage, but it wasn't a personal faith for me. Therefore, when I reached high school and was taught Darwin's theory of evolution as a fact, it made complete sense to me. Not having a solid foundation to my faith, I was swayed to believe there was no God and that we just happened to evolve. So I lost whatever little faith I had from my childhood and became an atheist and then later an agnostic. I married my college sweetheart at 21 years old and it ended up being a tumultuous and difficult marriage. I was absolutely crushed and heartbroken by his infidelities. One night I desperately cried out to God saying, please show me if you exist and I'll believe in you. I need your help in my marriage. Nothing significant happened that night, but later God answered that prayer in an undeniable way. Very soon after, at a department store, I noticed an island display of Bibles. I was drawn to the display, bought a Bible, and started reading in the book of John as it instructed in the preface. After finishing John, my world was rocked. I now understood there is a God, and He is true, real, and He loves me. I felt an incredible peace wash over me. God revealed Himself to me in the pages of His book, that He personally died for me and my sins, not only mankind as a whole, but for me personally, and that He did love me and would help me in my life's struggles. At that moment, I was convinced that Jesus was my personal savior. Around the same time, my husband's coworker was inviting us to his church, and we began hearing more that God loved us so much that he gave his son, only son, Jesus, to die a horrific death for us, to cleanse us from all our sins, and to have eternal life through him. As he did this, my husband's heart began to change and we participated in Bible studies and became part of a loving family home group. Our marriage began to heal as we grew in faith and understanding of God's great love for us. However, within a year, tragedy hit and our four-year marriage abruptly ended. My husband was in a fatal car accident and died suddenly. This event drastically catapulted my trust and faith in God as my world was completely shattered. I clung to Jesus and his word and promises in the dark days ahead. He was my rock, my all in all, as he still is today. The Lord, in his graciousness, eventually introduced me to a young widower, Darcy, who loved the Lord. He had a young daughter whom I adopted, and then we had two more children between us. Married now for 35 years, God has been our wife, joy, and his faithfulness never ceases to amaze us.
0: So how does an atheist desire to read a Bible? And how does an atheist reading a Bible come to believe, God loves me and will forgive me? How? How? The grace of God. Same way a, a convicted criminal believes that though they're guilty, someone has taken their punishment. See, I I want us to understand this morning the work of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Historical facts become personally impactful when we believe. And our believing is 100% the grace of God. And I remember when where I wasn't, didn't want to be. And I heard what I had always heard. And then God opened my heart. Some of you remember that very clearly yourself. And I think that's what God may be doing in your heart right now. Somebody who's listening right now that you're going, God is opening my heart to believe in him. That Jesus died, was buried, and raised on the third day. To confess with your mouth, he's Lord. So let me invite you to bow with me. If something's going on in your heart uh, that you can't quite understand, doesn't quite make sense, I get it. I wanna invite you to right now do what that man did. Admit you're guilty that you deserve the wrath of God because you know your sin. You know your failure. Hey, maybe it's not as, worth, as bad as other people's, you know, but you know you're guilty. But God has opened your eyes to the fact that Jesus suffered in your place. Would you, in the quietness of your seat right now, whether here wherever you are, would you confess with your mouth Jesus, I believe. I believe that you were sinless and that you died for the guilt of others. I believe that you are gracious and forgiving, that you're a king, and that God has raised you from the dead. Would you ask him, really in the simple words of the text, remember me, not my sin. Reconcile me that I might be one with you, be restored to right relationship with you, God. God, thank you for your grace. For the opening of our eyes, we ask that you would remember us.
2: Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To your kingdom. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one who utters no untrue word.
1: Whose hands are clean,
2: whose heart is pure. Who can ascend that hill? There is none righteous, no, not one. We are prodigal daughters and wayward sons. We don't know the half of the hurt we've done. The countless we have killed. Our priests are cheats, our prophets are liars. We know what the law requires, but we pile our sins up higher and higher. Who can ascend that hill? And I am a sheep who's gonna stray. I have turned aside to my own way. Have mercy on me, son of David. So Lord, remember me when you come. the voice on the word made man the spotless sacrificial lamb a body you didn't me here I am I have come to do your will and no one takes my life you see I lay it down now willingly and I will draw all men to me when I ascend that hill on Sunday you came as a king on Monday washed the temple clean on Tuesday told of what will be on Wednesday you waited patiently On Thursday you said it is time I'll drink this cup cause it is mine On Friday, Lord, you pour the wine Like a thief on a cross as he hung there dying For crimes that were no use denying While the righteous judge hung right beside him Then how could I not recognize you? How could I not recognize you? How could I not recognize my Lord? My Lord, remember And the end still comes as a surprise. But before the breath there in the tomb, before our joy spring from the womb, you saw a day that's coming soon. When the sun will stand on the mount again, with an army of angels at his command, the earth will split like the hull of a sea, wherever Jesus plants his feet. And up from the earth, the dead will rise, like spring trees rolled, and petals away. white. The song of the Radiant Bride, we will always be, always be, always be with the Lord, and we will always be, always be, always be with the Lord. I wanna invite you to stand and let's declare that hope we have. We'll always be with the Lord, and we
0: promises. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. He will remember you and you will always be with the Lord because if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things passed away, new things have come. And so if this morning. Well, it was the morning that God has opened your eyes. I hope you won't keep that to yourself, that you will tell someone maybe you came with. Maybe you could reach out to us if you wanted to send us an email or grab me after the service. Uh, you have a new life in Christ that we would want to help you walk in that new relationship. So grateful that you are with us here this morning. God bless and have a happy Easter.